Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 33 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Some guests and orders now receive gift certificates to Roots Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night on the town, every meal is an occasion at Roots Chris Steakhouse, open Wednesday through Sunday from 5 p.m. until 10 p.m. Tell them orders now sent you. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. A little bit of business here for you. Uh, Mataj Blumel or Matai Blumel, depending upon how you want to go with the pronunciation, was a fourth-round pick of the Oilers in 2019. At that time, the belief was that Blumel was going to be headed to the NCAA. He'd come off uh, playing a season, a checkborn player in the USHL with Waterloo, where he registered 30 goals and 60 points in 58 games. Uh, Did not end up in university in the fall of 2019-20. Least didn't end up playing uh, in university in 2019-20 and went back to the Czech Republic. Had a pretty good year this year, 17 goals, 32 points in 49 games. Because he didn't go to school, the Oilers had to make a decision to sign him. They have not. He is now a free agent. Blumel, again, a fourth-round pick in the 2019 draft. And you know what? It's the reality of doing business sometimes. Those things happen. Not to make excuses. Oh, you drafted a fourth-round pick and you already lost him. Uh, I think on average, the fourth-round pick has about a 7% chance to play north of uh, 50 games in the National Hockey League. We're going to bring aboard Brian Lawton, our Oilers Now headliner for Wilhock Beef Jerky. Just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhock. W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. Brian, how you doing? Doing fantastic, Bob. How are you? Good. Have you actually, and I know you have a lot of time for analytics, and you've been a former general manager in the NHL. You've had teams reach out to you for president GM's jobs. Have you run the numbers on what the percentages are by round of players that, you know, like a a third or fourth round pick? What percentage of those players ends up playing north of, say, 100 games in the NHL? Yes, we've done it year by year going back to 2000 and when I was a general manager, and uh, it's remained fairly constant. You know, you, you take a large a large sample size. You don't want to be too small. The biggest thing I could say about that, without saying what the percentages are that we came up, there's a lot of different criteria you can use. So when someone says that, you know, your classification or qualification as a, as a making it to the NHL. You know, we've tried all different variations, whether it's one game, 50 games, 80 games, 100 games, 120. So you can move the numbers any way the way you want around. But for me, um, 
I don't want to get into what I prefer, but we, we got to something that I thought made sense way back then, and I've continued to use that. It is not a very high percentage. The only thing I can add this year, with this year's draft, I think you're going to see a wide variance from what the past history says. I think you have a chance to do much better this year with a fourth-round pick than maybe you did for, you were talking about Blumel, who was like the 100th pick for the Oilers in the fourth round in 19. I think that pick is more valuable this year because of how few viewings there have been and how difficult this year will be even more so than ever on the amateur scouting staffs. So it's yeah, good to have a lot of picks is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's interesting. We I, I talked about pro scouting yesterday, uh, mainly because you never know who influences what decision. And, uh, you know, Archie Henderson has been here like he started after the 20 July 2019 free agency period. He came after that. So, you know, his staff hasn't been together much. You don't know the input of the respective coach. Uh, and I brought up Kyle Turris as an example. I know for a fact that the pro scouting staff wasn't sitting there, you know, hard pushing Kyle Turris that Dave Tippett had history with them. I remember when Brandon Manning was acquired by the Edmonton Oilers. Like, the Oilers were down a couple defensemen, and on the same day, they went and traded for Petrovich, and they traded for uh, Brandon Manning. Then those two trades ultimately didn't work out. The team didn't go the right way. I know Ken Hitchcock would argue, hey, we need some help in the back end. we got to get some veterans here. And I don't think the pro scouts were tied to either of those two decisions that much. A GM's got to have a feel. A coach has got to have some input. And then there's the pro scouts, which brings us to the amateur scouting side. How much license did you give your amateur scouts when you went in and took over as general manager in the Tampa Bay Lightning? Did you want input on the first round? Did you let them run rounds two through seven? How did all that work? Complete autonomy from everything outside the first round. Ability to weigh in more heavily on anything say, from 15 to 31 at the time. A little bit more of a voice as you approach the 10 mark, anything in the top five. I was just very transparent with the staff at the time that I would make the final decision. So did you make the decision on Stamkos and on Hedman? I got hired a couple of days before that draft. All I did was validate that Steven should be number one and maybe change a little bit of the view on potentially, I did not want that pick traded. Let's just put it that way. I I shut it down that there was some consideration back then maybe about trading the pick. That was a absolute no for me. So I waited on that and then I waited on the Lightning obviously were picking first on who should be first. Was it Montreal that was in on the pick that year? Who, who was in on the pick? I'm trying to recall which team was trying to chase it. Or were there multiple teams? Uh, I literally was told that they were talking to multiple teams, and I just said, just, you got to shut that down. Okay. Where I, you know, I did not run that draft, but that was the only request I had. It was complete autonomy after that. Well, they did a good job. I mean, they got... Uh, you know, a fourth-round pick, James Wright, played in the Western Hockey League with Vancouver. He played over 100 games. Uh, Barbario, as a defenseman, was a sixth-round pick. He played 270. Luke Witkowski, as a tough guy, ended up playing a lot of games as well. So 
you know, you had, you had a situation there where that's a fair amount of games played. And then the next year, yeah, I think Dustin Tok. I think Dustin Tokarski is not showing up in your sort either. And he's another guy that went on and played some games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and then the next year, you guys had some success as well. Uh, later on, you took Hedman at number two. It's in its. Was there any question for Hedman at number two in that uh, 2009? That, that was year Tavares went number one, right? Yes, yes. Uh, there was question. Uh, the final answer, you know, from our scouting staff was not Hedman. And because of what I'd said a few minutes ago, I reserved the right to, you know, make that pick. And I, unfortunately, it was not very well received by the staff, as you could imagine. Um, but ultimately, the general manager, you know, is responsible. The buck stops with him. And um, I went through the entire process that year and unfortunately um, came up with, or fortunately for them, that Victor should be the the number two player. And I actually was somewhat happy that we didn't win the lottery that year because I felt like the Islanders were going to take Tavares. And I didn't want to have to be forced to take Hedman, but if truth be told, I had Victor Hedman on my list first, and, and then own, John Tavares second. And your own staff yeah. did not. Your staff did not have him at number one, at uh, at number two in that spot. That is interesting to me. They, they did not. They had him at number three. Who do they have? Do they have Duchesne at number two? They did. They had Duchesne at number yep. two. Wow. I think that one worked yeah. out for uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, Brian. I hope they appreciate that. <laughs> you know, it, it worked out fine. I remember the first person I told, I never said anything to anybody. I let the staff go through the year and do their due diligence, and they did great work. And they certainly discussed it back and forth, but in the end they came up with Matt, who's had an excellent career also. Um, but the first person I remember telling, and it's relevant because he passed away this week, was the assistant general manager at the time, Tom Kerfers. Right. And that, and he kind of knew I had said things earlier, but this was at the very, very end of the year. And I said, Tom, I, I, you know, this is what you're hired for now. You need to tell me if you think I'm wrong, no matter what. But this is what we're going to do. And uh, he couldn't have agreed more with me, which I felt good about. Um, because one thing about Tom Curvers is that he was a very independent, cerebral thinker, and I really valued his opinion. So I told him, then I told ownership, and then we moved forward at the draft. Ownership just said, look, it's your call. You're the general manager. There you go. Curvers uh, obviously had a great NHL career, a really good offensive puck-moving defenseman and had a, quite the eye for talent as well. And by all reports, I, I met him a couple times, but you were his friend. Great guy. Is that right? Uh, fantastic guy. Very sad that he passed away. You know, everybody kind of knew, but it's still shocking when it happens. Everybody knew he was in for a tough battle, and Edmonton fans have seen this firsthand as well, even, you know, somewhat recently. So uh, it's tough you got young, healthy people. In Tom's case, he had lung cancer, Bob, and uh, yep. a guy that didn't smoke ever. It's wow. confusing for the public when you have a guy that's that yeah, really lived a healthy lifestyle. But uh, 50% of the people diagnosed, at least in the U.S., with lung cancer are not smokers. 
I did not know that stat. That is uh, that's, that's, that's tough news. All right. Uh, so let's uh, we're, we're sitting here watching Tampa and the New York Islanders eight nothing. Is Barry Trotz and the Islanders and the makeup of that team with Lou Lamarello and going back into that building is that the perfect case scenario to rebound after getting kicked the way they did down in Tampa? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you felt even before the series start, I felt like Tampa had a game in them where they could, you know, everything kind of pops their way and they just have that kind of talent and depth. So I, I wasn't totally surprised. I thought it was certainly possible. You never know what's going to happen, that they could have a blowout victory. I fully expect the New York Islanders to bounce back. They've been through adversity. Barry Trotz is, has as much humility as any coach in the National Hockey League. I don't think it would have frazzled him. It certainly would have been disappointing, maybe even upsetting, but I don't think you'd see any panic setting in with, with him at the helm, certainly not with Lou Amarillo, and I think the players feed off of that. I don't think you'll see any panic for them. I think they'll they'll throw up a really good game tonight. I expect their best, to be honest with you, certainly of this series, if not in this playoff. So uh, we'll see where that takes them, but I definitely believe they have the type of character and makeup and mixture of players that can respond positively to a blowout loss like that. Yeah, absolutely. We're joined right now by Brian Lawton from the NHL Network. Brian, switching focus to the Montreal Canadiens. And uh, full disclosure, we have you and Kevin Weeks on from the NHL Network, and you were neither of you two have dismissed the Canadian division, the Scotia division. You're, you're, there are people down in the States, oh, the Canadian division sucks. The performance of the Montreal Canadiens against Vegas, even if they don't win the series now, the fact that they've won three games, including two in Vegas, do you think that changes the narrative a bit? People are definitely waking up to it now, yes. In the Montreal Canadiens' case, obviously the division was very high scoring, and some people down in the States read the numbers that maybe Connor put up against certain teams in a division and other players. It wasn't just him, and it got discounted a little bit, I think unfairly, to be honest with you. But that's, that's kind of how it came about. I think it was a false narrative. I think Montreal's proving that. Um, can they keep it going for one more game? <sighs> with Carey Price uh, backstopping that team, I'd be pretty nervous if I was Vegas. Is it just a byproduct of the type of team that Mark Bergevin built? And Because at the start of the year, they came at Edmonton, and they skunked the Oilers. They handled them pretty easily in those two games. I think they got four or five out of a possible six points in Vancouver. I think they lost one in overtime or something, maybe two. But they'd started the year. Uh, they were I, I know they were 4-0-2 in their first six games. They had the situation with Armia and with uh, Kakanyami. And they got shut down, and then they had to play 24 games in 46 days to close out the regular season without Carey Price for the back half of it. Did we really ever get a true indication of what they were capable of in the regular season? And conversely, are we now seeing what they're capable of come playoff time? Yeah, I mean, it it takes a lot of luck (laughs) to be a, a really good GM sometimes. I mean, I look at Corey Perry, a guy that was on waivers. And how great he's played in the playoffs. I think that's remarkable, and you got to be fortunate. But even though they hobbled, and I mean hobbled into the playoffs, they did, or we should have known better 
that they had the capability to really lock things down when they're going the way that they're going now. And we saw that specifically against the Oilers in that three-game set where a guy like Connor McDavid literally did not get a point. That should have been, you know, it was kind of just a one-off, kind of like Connor had a bad week, which doesn't happen very often. But in the end, I think we're finding out it wasn't necessarily that Connor had a bad week. It was more like they've got a really good team in terms of locking things down, creating a little bit of a boring style, uh, but a winning style. And this time of year, nobody cares in Montreal how they're winning. They only care that they're winning. It's exciting. Now, why are they winning for me? Some things are the same today as they were in the 70s, and that is depth is still critical. Uh, all the teams, we've talked about it before with the high-end talent, but maybe not as much depth, have not fared as well as most people, including people like myself, thought they would. I think that's a change a little bit or a little bit surprising from what we've seen in the past. Uh, the salary cap continues to penalize teams generally that have had great success and then they can't afford their players, but also, you know, by way or virtue of mistakes in your signings. And the cap has proved to be incredibly penal. Feels like a lot of those teams are ending up with a few high-end players and not, not as much room to maneuver or build out the rest of their team and yet the teams that have the depth are the ones that have done the best. Montreal and certainly the New York Islanders, a team that Matthew Barzell is their superstar, but he's still only making $7 million, still early in his career. Um, those two really jump out at me. Do you think there is any – a couple quick hitters for you, Brian Lott and Jonas. Brian, do you think there's any chance Matthew could check get straight out of Calgary? I know in speaking with some clubs, there's a lot of interest out there. I have not spoken with Brad Treleving. I would think that all options are on the table after the way last year went for them, though, and with the changes of bringing Daryl in. And like every other organization in the NHL, the pressure never never ramps down. It only ramps up. And I would say there's a lot of pressure there, so I wouldn't completely rule it out. Okay, Seattle. Is Rick Tockett going to be the next head coach of the or the first head coach of the Kraken? I spoke to Seattle a couple of times recently. I cannot say with any certainty that he is. I know that they like Rick. Um, I certainly think he would be the leading candidate. And should the Buffalo Sabers be nervous that Owen Power? has communicated that he's contemplating returning to Michigan? Or conversely, is this a message that is being sent? And perhaps you can explain to our listener the differences between a family advisor and an agent and how it relates to the NCAA. Is this a me- is this message sending from the power camp, or is there something else in play? For me, I think it's a little bit of message sending. But for the Buffalo Sabres... They have to bet on themselves and take the player that they think is the best player overall. For me, that's Owen Power right now, to be honest with you. I think Owen had an incredible year. He finished it off with a big bang over at the World Championships. Um, There's no Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews-type player offensively, but there could be a Victor Hedman-type player in Owen Powers or Clark 
or maybe even Edelson from Sweden. So this is a top-heavy D. If you're looking for an elite D, it's a good year to be in the top five. Great stuff, Brian. Appreciate your time. Uh, We'll hook up next week, okay? Fantastic. Thanks, Bob. You bet. That is Brian Lawton from the NHL Network. The Don has texted us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Bob, when a team shuts a team down for 27 straight power plays, they're most likely gonna. Uh, they're most likely gonna win. That one comes to us from Don. Yeah, the Canadians have got good penalty killing, and you know who has to beat your best penalty killer in hockey? Your goaltender. And Carey Price right now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's been pretty good. It's 12.53 at Edmonton. We'll take a quick timeout, come back with a couple more of your texts. You're listening to Oilers Now. Hi, this is Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6.30 Chad. It is 12.54 at Edmonton. Welcome back. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. For you golfers out there, if you're looking for a great VIP golf trip, you can join New West Travel on a four-day golf getaway in the spectacular mountains at Whistler. Uh, the package includes airfare and a private West Jet charter, complimentary open bar meals, three nights in a deluxe suite hotel, four rounds of five-star golfing in the coastal mountains, and a new West travel golf tournament with prizes as well. All transfers can book now and get a free upgrade uh, for a one-bedroom suite. To book your tee time, call New West Travel or go online at newwesttravel.com. All right, Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. You can text us at any time on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Mitch says, Bob, what do you think Ken Holland's thinking on Philip Deneau and Zach Hyman? Do you think that would work as a second line and then run 29 and 97 together? Uh, I believe you're going to see Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl play center for Edmonton the majority of the time next season. So let's establish that to begin with. Um, Zach Hyman, I know what James Myrtle reported last week. I've also heard secondhand through some player sources that they don't expect Hyman to leave the Maple Leafs, that uh, certain players that are plugged in in Toronto are implying in the player world that Hyman will be staying with the Maple Leafs. Um, I do think if they don't get him done, that the Oilers would have some time for Hyman. As for Philip Deneau, the guy is an excellent third-line center. I mean, I think Hyman would cost you $6 million a year. Deneau's got to be in the fives. Like, he's, to me, he's a lot like Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Maybe doesn't have quite a good... Pajot can score some goals. And Deneau's a little bit more of a playmaker. But Deneau's a pretty good player. I know I had the conversation today with somebody about uh, Philip Deneau, and he's definitely... I mean, if Philip Deneau was the Oilers' third-line center, that they'd have strength down the middle of McDavid, Drysaddle, and Deneau. Um, Kyler Yamamoto and Pugliarvi in their top two spots on the right side. You know, we'll see if Nugent Hopkins gets done, and then maybe a $4 million left wing in the second spot. Mm-hmm. I think the Canadians, why would they not get find a way to get Deneau re-signed? To me, that's not. I mean, they're not playing Tatar. It makes sense they're not going to re-sign him. Armia, I'd have some time for Armia. 
Uh, Tatar is represented by Edmonton's Rich Winner. Uh, Armia is represented by uh, Jerry Johansson out of Edmonton as well. Armia is an excellent penalty killer. I mean, the only problem from an Oilers perspective is he's a right shot. And the Oilers have Pugliarvi, Yamamoto, Cassian, hmm, and Archibald, who uh, the coach is a big fan of, all on the right wing. Again, you can text us at 1257, uh, 780-496-0063. Sean says, Bob, watching Cole Caulfield and seeing how uh, and seeing how Trevor Zegras is developing, man, uh, Philip Broberg better pan out on how he's being peddled. Um, well, different position. There's no question Zegras and Caulfield have looked good with Anaheim and Montreal, respectively. My guess is Broberg's going to spend minimum three quarters of next season down on the minors. Defensemen take more time. We'll see three or four years down the road who's the better player. Bob, what about Artem Zub? Uh, he'd be a good fit in Edmonton if we don't re-sign Barry. I like his game when the Oilers play against him a few times this season from Wes. Well, isn't he with Ottawa? Like, I bet you Ottawa likes his game too. Brandon says, Bob, what about Blake Coleman? How much would he cost? I think Coleman's going to get $4 million a year in the open market. My guess is he signs stateside. That's just a uh, feeling, gut feeling. Um uh, again you can text us at seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. All right, we'll keep it coming. David Staples, uh we're gonna talk a little about the pandemic, opening up, what it means for sport, and then get into some oiler specific stuff at uh one oh five and then one thirty five today, John Shannon for Legacy Heating and Cooling. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.